Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. You know, one of the things I've always said about me is when I get bored, stupid things can happen. Last night I got bored and I was flipping through Twitter and I was an idiot. I got involved in a deal with a guy, a writer from Mississippi State, who was an IU guy that had come at me a few times and I was wrong. But it led somewhere. It always leads somewhere. I got thinking about Mike Leach, the co- the recently deceased coach of Mississippi State, Texas Tech, Washington State. And I got talking with, I'm on a bit of a vacation with my family, and I got talking with my kids here, my stepchild, about student loans. And it hit me, like, wait a second. Mike Leach discussed student loans. Now, I would love to play the 10-minute press conference that Mike Leach talked about student loans, but it's too long and we need more of me and less of that. And it's a bit rambly, but what he basically says is a couple of things. One, student loans are a freaking operation that's like the mafia basically extorting kids for money. Two, how he tried to get out of student loans, why he got student loans. But it made me think about this. You know, yesterday I got on the show and I was very critical of college coaches. I was very critical of college coaches flipping kids on signing day. Nick Saban, he he was celebrated for flipping a kid from Iowa to Alabama. And everybody in the college football sphere takes that as, oh, yeah, yay, Rob, we flipped this kid. I take it as, wait a second. You go to a place of higher education and we celebrate flipping a kid. Now, that's fine. That's part of it. I ain't going to change it. But back to Mike Leach. So Mike Leach is talking about student loans and how horrible they are for students. And I thought to myself, man, I wish I'd have done that as a college coach. Imagine this. All right. The two most influential coaches right now probably in football are Nick Saban and Deion Sanders. I think we could all argue that if those two guys got going about the stupidity, uh, the lack of empathy for 18 to 23-year-olds that aren't playing football, that aren't playing basketball, that aren't on scholarship, that are going to college, whether it's at Wabash College in Indiana or Indiana University or Washburn College or Kansas – What if coaches banded together and started discussing how awful should be illegal the extortion of college kids is? And it made me mad at myself. You know what happens as a college coach? As a college coach, you want the students at your game. I need the students at my games. I want the students. We've heard Nick Saban criticize students for leaving early. When I was a coach at Bowling Green, I grabbed Laura and Andrew and we went to sororities and fraternities and we talked and we talked and we talked about coming to the game. Well, you know what we did? We gave him a t-shirt. Maybe we had a raffle for some pizzas. No, 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 no. You know what Mike Leach did by talking about student loans? 
by defending the student. He taught Amanda Fish. There is two ways of going about it. It's biblical, people. You can give a guy a fish. He eats for a day. Teach a guy to fish. He eats for a lifetime. Mike Leach talking about student loans and how ridiculous they are was freaking genius. Genius. That's the genius of Mike Leach. I figured it out last night. He put himself inside the student. He didn't just give the kids a T-shirt and say, hey, come to our game. He made himself one of them, and it's brilliant. Imagine this. Imagine today. Just imagine it. If Deion Sanders, Nick Saban, Lincoln Riley, I mean, name it. Matt Rule, we're going to talk about uh, Nebraska football coming up. All made a big deal about how much student loans are crushing the soul of kids going to college, not on scholarship. I'm not saying student loan forgiveness. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about exorbitant rates paid back over years and years and years, crippling. Not talking about forgiveness at all. I'm just talking about, look, let's go. 3%, 1%. We don't need all this money pouring in to the federal government. Is it going to change? No. But I'm telling you, it would ingratiate the coach to the students like nothing ever has before. Still give T-shirts, still give pizza. So anyway, me being a moron last night led to something that I thought was absolutely freaking fascinating. It really was. And good for Mike Leach. Hey, uh, let's show the world, let's show uh, the world the Mike Leach bus that went on with the pirate, right? The pirate bus is out and Mike Leach can tear it is. Swing swords, swing, swing swords, swords. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it is one of those deals where Mike Leach was smarter than anybody. I mean, I wish I had done that. I wish I had said to all the coaches in the MAC, look, we may not have any influence. I don't know. But daggone, would that make your students appreciate you? And it's a legitimate cause. I mean, let's be real. Now, that's a brilliant coach. At the end of the show, I'm going to get into a moron coach. I'm going to get into children masquerading as coaches. And I don't like it. And I'm talking about, once again, Jawan Howard. Now, I'll get into that as we go through the show. But dang, it hit me like an absolute bullet right between the eyes. And that's what normally happens with me, just so you understand. Out of stupidity, which I was an idiot, I was bored. I get bored. What do you want me to tell you? Out of stupidity comes greatness. And Mike Leach talking about student loans is absolute greatness. Bad news for the Tennessee Titans. This came down the pike uh, pretty much after our show yesterday. Ryan Tannehill very likely has his season ended. Now, I've said this. I didn't live it as a coach. The most important thing you can do when you have enough talent is keep that talent healthy. This goes back a minute. But in 07, Billy Donovan won his second national championship. 
And I think it was his, I think it was his second. Anyway, I went down there. Last practice they had in the spring, they had Joaquin, uh, what was his name? Joaquin Noah, Laura. You know, thank you. Joaquin Noah and Al Horford and the kid Green and Brewer. They were all done. Second national championship. And I was watching them. I was watching their workout. And I was talking to Billy Donovan. And I said, hey, how did you manage two national championships? And he said, the number one way was we had to stay healthy. And I want you to think about this. So Ryan Tannehill is the quarterback of the Titans. We have to stay healthy. Can't stay healthy. Titans are reeling. Next thing you know, Titans have a quarterback that's going to be out for the season. Once in a while, you catch lightning in a bottle. You do. Once in a while, a guy comes in and all of a sudden, man, he changed the fortunes of our team. That guy, the opportunity is going to fall on who? It's going to fall on Malik Willis. But when you're trying to win a title, when you are in a position like the Titans were, where a year ago they were the number one seed, this year they were at one point running away with the division, and all of a sudden not only is your team reeling, but now your quarterback is out. It feels inside the organization like it's over. Nobody's going to say it. Nobody wants to say it. Nobody will say it. But that's the way it feels. It feels that way. And you know what? Quite frankly, it probably it probably is. Look, NFL News, our beloved Colts had one pro bowler, Quentin Nelson. The Philadelphia Eagles had eight selections to the pro bowl, led, ladies and gentlemen, by Jalen Hurts. And, ladies and gentlemen, uh, A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown, much to the chagrin of the battling, fighting Titans, makes the Pro Bowl. Then there's a lot of linemen, Dickerson and Lane Johnson and Kelsey and Reddick and running back Sanders and cornerback. But the truth of the matter is, what a deal. What a deal. On one hand, you got Tannehill, and he's out for the year. On the other hand, and guess what, by the way, the uh, – the general manager of the Titans out for the year as well as he got fired. And on the other hand, A.J. Brown. The only two teams without a Pro Bowl selection, the Chicago Bears, who basically traded their Pro Bowlers away, Roquan Smith, although I would argue you're going to see, uh, I would guess, Justin Fields in whatever this Pro Bowl game is because a lot of guys are going to opt out. And I don't know. Justin Fields will probably be there, and he probably will. AFC had Mahomes, Burrow, and Josh Allen as the quarterbacks. Hard to argue that. NFC, this is really wild. I mean, I want you to think about this. With all the names, Brady and Rodgers, let's listen to who is in the Pro Bowl from the NFC. I already mentioned Jalen Hurts. Geno Smith, Geno Smith and Kirk Cousins. Now, is that amazing? If you were going to line up before the season and you were going to go to DraftKings and say, all right, here is my parlay of quarterbacks to make all pro or the Pro Bowl in the NFC. 
give me, all right, let me look. Geno Smith, okay. Uh, Cousins, and I'll tell you what, I'll take Hurts. You would probably get 10,000 to 1 odds on that. Speaking of odds on something, uh, we, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to get and get into the great Marty Simmons, a.k.a. the Mute. Great. One of the all-time greatest high school players at Lawrenceville, Illinois. Great player at Indiana. He got screwed by Coach Knight. He went to Evansville, and his jersey is in the Raptors at the University of Evansville. He coached the University of Evansville. They didn't think he was quite good enough, so they got rid of him, brought in Walter McCarty, and that, ladies and gentlemen, was a mess. Well, the great Marty Simmons' Eastern Illinois team went into Iowa and whooped up on the Hawkeyes last night as an underdog, the likes of which we have never seen. And I will get into the numbers later on as we do the Dammy Awards. We'll get into those numbers. Is Bob ready? I see Bob's on the screen. The great Bob Rathburn uh, is going to join us. Bob, you said it last night, man. You're the healthiest broadcaster in the business. <laughs> and like Jimmy Pierce saw, you got the papers to prove it, big boy. Exactly. And I didn't have to run around the bases backwards either. Uh, <laughs> it's good to see you, Double D. Hey, um, I I watched it. I'm not showing it. I don't like it. But December 5th, you're doing it. You, I read about you. You were sick. You weren't feeling well. Next thing you know, you black out for a minute. Dominique's got to make a nice play on your head, and everything's fine, though. What's going on here? Yeah, it was one of those uh, weird set of circumstances where everything kind of hit at once. I don't – I mean, I, I knew I was sick, for sure, but I was dehydrated, and they told me that the electrolytes were down and didn't have enough magnesium. It all kind of hit at once and, and forced me – uh, to to pass out. Note to broadcasters everywhere: do not pass out on live television. It is not a good thing for your career. But Dan, it's it's nice to have a happy ending. I got thoroughly checked out from head to toe, uh, and once the the illness kind of the stomach bug kind of passed, I felt fine. But they were determined at at Emory to find out, you know, what in the world happened. Uh, and they ran me through every test they've got. I'm sure the insurance company is thrilled, uh, but they put me through every test they know and checked out 100%, uh, got back. They took me off the road because they didn't want me flying around, and I appreciate that. And I went back to work Monday and feel like I did on December the 4th. So I'm very, very blessed, uh, so thankful. And I must say, Dan, uh, the outpouring of people uh, like yourself and and all my broadcasting colleagues, people in the NBA, people in college athletics, the officials, uh, and obviously our fans, uh, the way they reached out really was overwhelming. I I can't thank them enough. It meant so much. And so all the prayers received and we're good to go. I did not know uh, until Marty Simmons took the job. The only people I knew at Eastern Illinois with Tony Romo and Sean Payton. You know, I couldn't believe that score when I saw it last night. Hey, don't forget Jimmy Garoppolo. It's like a football yeah, right. factory there in, Char yeah. in Charleston, Bob. I'll tell you a quick story about Sean Payton, okay? Summer of 1987, 
And I get a call from ESPN to broadcast, if I wanted to, the first arena football league. Okay. And we're going to, there's five teams in this league. And my partner is Lee Corso. So we do the first game and the first season of arena football. And who is the backup quarterback for the Chicago <laughs> Bruisers? Sean Payton. And Corso had a great line. You'll appreciate this. So the first game of arena football, and they're playing on this carpet, which is like playing out in the middle of the interstate. Uh, there was no padding. There's no nothing. They're playing basically on concrete. And they throw a touchdown pass, the first touchdown in arena football league history. And this kid dives and makes this unbelievable catch in the end zone. And Corso says, ladies and gentlemen, that was the greatest catch in the history of <laughs> arena football. First touchdown. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't wrong. No, he wasn't. I'm not letting you slide here, though. Uh, yes, sir. You've been doing this 27 years. I would imagine that you probably have taken as many days off, less than one handful in those 27 years. I would also guess you didn't know crap about electrolytes. And dehydrate. You didn't know none of that stuff. They're showing me the x-rays in the hospital. I said, Doc, I don't know what I'm looking at. Right. Tell me. Is it okay? Yeah, you're okay. Great. That's all I need to know. I saw, I mean, all that better. I was like, what are you talking about? I have no idea. But yeah, it, the best medicine was getting back to work. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Yeah, and when you get sick, I think a lot of us we we think, well, I'll you know take a nap and I'll be good to go for the game and after the game. You don't you don't really maybe realize. My wife is really into this now. This is why I'm just kidding. it it it's really into the importance of hydration and water because uh -huh. you drink coffee, it dehydrates and you forget about it. Next thing you know, you got a problem, right? Right, and you know I I think all of us who've been in broadcasting as long as as we have have all done games when we didn't feel good and you just sort of press on and you know, it's show biz, the show must go on. And you just figure like, you know, Monday night, two weeks ago, I was like, okay, I'll up Chuck and I'll feel better and then go home and go to bed. And you know, that night it caught up with me, but um, I think we've all done that. Haven't you? I mean, you've done, oh. games. you know, you just don't feel good. You got a cold or, you know, you're not feeling well, you, know, you press on and you get through it. Yeah, it's funny. ESPN told me at a game I was doing, it was just before COVID. Look, don't talk in the first half. We need you for the second half because I sounded so bad. You know, that, right. that thing that thing at Starbucks, the medicine ball is like the thing everybody everybody takes. All right. So you this is back December uh, 5th. You're great since then. As you said, you got the papers and everything checked out fine. Yes, sir. Yep. Checked out 100 percent. I had, you know, you got to do the follow-up call, you know, with, with the doctors. And I had one two days ago with the internal guy and he said the best line I've ever heard from a doctor. He said, I release you to the wild. <laughs> <laughs> so all good. I have no restrictions, no dietary restriction, nothing. Just like I was December 4th. You know, it, it, it's funny. I, I don't know. And I don't want to bring up. I, I, I got pissed off at awful announcing. They showed that thing. I got I, I got after the freaking, you know, Ben Koo, who's running the thing. I'm like, you guys are idiots, man. How about a little respect for somebody? You know yeah. what I mean? I, I don't know. I, 
Maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know. No, I, I don't think so, Dan. Of course, you and I probably grew up in a, in a different time, but respect kind of has gone out the window in a lot of regards to, in broadcasting. And, and it wasn't just awful announcing. I, I have not seen the tape. I will never look at the tape. I don't want to see it. Um, but it was the same thing here in Atlanta. Uh, Mary Beth, my wife and son were in my hospital room. I had been taken downstairs for another battery of x-rays and they were waiting for me to come back up in the room and they had the local news on. Now this is on Wednesday after it happened on Monday. And there it is again on a loop, you know, as there, it was, it wasn't even a news story. It was part of the promo for the news. Well, Mama Bear did not take kindly <laughs> to that. And um, whoever the news director was who made that call um, got a got an earful. And and thanks to the Hawks and the NBA, you know, they did everything they could to try to get it taken down. And they did most places. You know, it still lives, I think, in YouTube and some other places. And it will. That's just kind of the day that we live in, right? But I think like Twitter and and a lot of the news uh, outlets, they they got it taken down. I mean, it's just some basic human dignity, please. That's what I feel. Hey, while I got you, you are the yes, king sir. of Atlanta. You are the king of Atlanta. Uh, I am a long-suffering, except for one year, Cubs fan. We just brought Dansby Swanson yeah. over. Are we happy? I'm very happy. Should I yeah. be very happy? You're going to love Dansby Swanson. All right. You know, you know the, he's a local kid, you know. He's from here. Yeah. Marietta guy. And uh, – uh, playing for the Braves was his lifelong dream, but you know, it was time for him to, to cash in. And I think obviously, you know how I feel about the Cubs. I think that is one of the, you know, the great franchises and one of the great, everything, the fan base, the park, the whole experience of Chicago. Uh, you're going to love him. He, the one thing about him, Dan, in this day and age, of course, in our in our sport, load management, you know, uh, you're going to love Swanson. He he plays every day, and I think that's one of the keys to the Braves' success uh, the last few years until Freddie left uh, to go to the Dodgers. I mean, every day you had Freddie and Ozzy and uh, you know Dansby at shortstop every day, 162 games a year, and I think that's what you'll enjoy the most about him. He's he's very consistent. He timed a career year perfectly. Uh, I don't know that he'll match those numbers necessarily, but not that he has to. He's going to be there every day and give you everything he's got. I think you'll like him a lot. You know, it's funny you say that, Bob. Dan Plezak, uh is with the Major League Baseball Network, played, uh -huh. you know, and he's a good friend of mine. We grew up together, same high school, that kind of stuff. And when we would talk about the Braves, that's the first thing he said. He calls it posting. He goes, when your best players post every night, Every night, night after night, you got a heck of a thing going, not only on the field because they're your best players, but you got a heck of a thing going inside your clubhouse, too. It just sets up better that way. You know what I mean? And that has been uh, the mantra of these Braves. I mean, they just get the lunch pail and off to work they go. And, you know, we have obviously, you know, this the Braves success has been crazy uh, these last few years. But that's the one thing I think all Braves fans here have respected about them is that they, they don't take days off. You know, you go out there and you play. And these guys, look at it, 155 games, 157 games every year. It's great. Unlike the National Basketball Association. <laughs> I remember 
I think it was the 11th game, maybe the 10th game of the year. LeBron's coming to Indiana, and he had to take one off for load management. I'm like, that's not even a high school schedule in Indiana. How good is your team? How good are the Hawks? They're sitting at 500 right now with my Pacers and others. Well, we haven't been whole, Dan, and uh, I know that sounds like an excuse, but, you know, when you're losing your – we're not a very good defensive team, and when you lose Clint Capella – uh, you know, the anchor of your defense and protecting that rim and getting all those defensive rebounds. It's a, it's a key loss. I think if we can get our core group healthy, we, you know, bogey's only been back for a couple of weeks. If we can get everybody healthy and let's see what we have, we've beaten a number of good teams. That gives me hope, but we're just not good defensively. Uh, we struggle on the glass sometimes and uh, it's going to be hard. The 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 one thing I love about this year's NBA, and I mean I I mean this sincerely, is that there's no dominant team. That's the best thing that's happened to the NBA in decades. You know, I got so sick Golden State and Cleveland every year for the. You know, it was so predictable. Now it's wide open. It's like the NFL. It's like baseball. It's like hockey. You have no idea who's going to the finals. And I think that's one of the best things that's happened to our league in a long, long time. Yeah, I do too. When you look at you know Milwaukee's leading in the East, and uh, you mentioned Golden State, my God, I oh it collapsed. Well, I, I want to ask you because you're around teams. It's always fascinating to you know. I understand Golden State is great. I understand the history. I, I do. I get it. They're fun to watch as well. But when you have that incident that you had with Draymond Green and Jordan Poole, I don't care how they cover it. That that's a problem. That. That, to me, is a serious internal problem, Bob. Your thoughts? No question. You are spot on. And it manifests itself, particularly on the road. You know, at home, you can get by with it. And they got great crowds. They're sold out every night, blah, blah, blah. But two things. Number one, you played enough and you coached enough to know exactly what happened and, and the ramifications thereof. But number two, I don't, you take everybody on that team whether it's Draymond, Clay Thompson, you name it, that train isn't leaving the station without Steph Curry. He is the linchpin to the whole operation. And without him, I don't think they have much of a chance. And that's, you know, with all due respect to the to the championship pedigree and Steve's coaching and all that, but that guy makes it happen. And without him, they're going to struggle. And to get beat like they've gotten beat the last two nights in New York is – like, how is this possible? You're down, what was it, 80, 84 to 37 or something last yeah. night in Brooklyn? I mean, that, yeah. that can't happen for a, a you know, a quote-unquote championship contending team. No, I, I'm telling you, as soon as I saw that punch, I said, all right, we'll see what happens. Yep. But that, that internally, that is yep. bad business. Yep. I'm glad you're healthy. The only thing, I was reading an article, and they were talking about all the basketball celebrities that reached out. I didn't see my name. I'm like, aha, the mighty have fallen here. I, I got you blocked. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Thanks, Bobby. I'm so glad you're healthy. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate the love and uh, thanks for reaching out as you did. You know, I love you and I uh, hope maybe I'll see you next week. We're going to, uh, you know, tangle with your pacers. So. That's going to be tough. I'm in Florida for two weeks, uh, wearing my thong and sunning my backside. Oh, outstanding. Yeah. Isn't there a local ordinance against that? Yes. Publicly displaying your thong like that? Yes, there have been uh, there have been men with security, you know, suits and ties and earpieces hovering. Uh, they're so coming. I, I, they I are coming up. for you. 
<laughs> Thanks, boss. Thank you, Bob. You got it, buddy. Appreciate you having me. Bob Rath for 27 years. And man, is he right? Like when you broadcast, you just, hey, look, I know I got the sniffles. I got to go broadcast. I don't feel good. I got to go broadcast. It's what we do. That is what we do. All right, I got some headlines to get to Colts fans. Nick Foles, the world is crazy. We'll be right back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Guys, I don't know what to tell you. You try to revise history, right? We all try to go back. You ever have, and this is for you, Jennifer, and you guys as well. You ever go back? to an old boyfriend or an old girlfriend because, well, you know, time gets away from you. And you know what? I can't remember why we broke up. And then you go back. And then you realize, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that action. I do. Well, that's how I feel every time I see Nick Foles Back in the starting lineup somewhere. Nick Foles was a hero. Let's be honest. Nick Foles, Super Bowl hero. Ever since Nick Foles, Super Bowl hero, ever since that was said, do you know what teams have been trying to do? They have been trying, ladies and gentlemen, to find that Nick Foles. They have been trying to get Nick Foles to be the Nick Foles of the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles, and it has not happened. So now here we go again. We're trying to recapture 2017. Actually, for you Colts fans, it's not really about recapturing 2017. It's about salvaging a season. It's about salvaging at least some shred of dignity inside the Colts organization. Now, the Colts are doing everything they can. We got new blue uniforms. Come on down to the field before. Participate in the light show with the fans. Good for Jimmy Ursay. Good for the promotions team. But the on-field, ladies and gentlemen, has been a mess. So what do you do? You paid $148 million in quarterbacks in 2008, including, I don't know, $14 million for this guy or whatever it is. Couple of years, seven apiece, whatever. So now you went from Matt Ryan, the human statue, to Sam Ellinger, the young and up and comer. Neither of those really worked out. And now you're going somewhere where a lot of fans have been saying, why didn't you do this early? I mean, you brought and said Nick Foles was the best backup quarterback in the league. That's what we were told. So now. Nick Foles gets a chance against the Chargers at home. It's kind of set up for the guy. And I would anticipate, frankly, Nick Foles playing pretty well. Look, there's no Jonathan Taylor with the Colts. That certainly hurts. But I don't know. You're at home. The dude seems to be a veteran. He's good in short doses. A little bit like me. I'm good in short doses. You give me too much, nah, it's a bit of a problem. But anyway... We're going to see another shot at redemption for the Philly special, 
for Nick Foles. It's like going back to the old girlfriend. Y'all do it. I did it. Everybody does. You do it. What are you going to tell? What are you telling me? You just do it. And then you realize, yeah, it's, it's like Mrs. Onifree told my mother about dating divorced men. Eventually, you find out why they got divorced. Um, here's something for you criminals out there. Don't turn yourself in. Now, I'm going to say it again. Do not turn yourself in. You want it, You want reasoning? Antonio Brown. Going back a week or so, I don't know if you remember this, but police had gone to the home of Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown said, nah, nah, I, um, nah, I'm not coming out. Nope. There was a little bit of a standoff, not one of those crazy standoffs, not one of those that we see on TV where the SWAT team comes in or anything like that. But there was a little bit of a standoff. Fast forward yesterday. Uh, charges have been dropped against Antonio Brown. Nah, we ain't doing it. We're good. Arrest warrant withdrawn. He won't face battery charges. Look, here's the deal. He got issued a warrant back in November after a woman accused a former player of throwing a shoe at her during a violent incident November 28th. All right. The alleged victim recanted her story to them during a follow-up interview December 16th. But in between there, the police had gone to Antonio Brown's house. Now, most guys walk and do the perp walk. They put their hands and maybe they put a little thing over their face. And they end up in the slammer. Antonio Brown said, I ain't doing it. I ain't coming out. Police made probably a pretty good move, right? Made a good move, not busting indoors, not being crazy. Uh, they let it go. I don't know what you do in between telling the police I'm not coming out and the police saying, all right, uh, we don't have a warrant anymore based on December 16th. I don't know what you do in between, but I do know this. From the time they set foot on Antonio Brown's property till right now and the immediate future, my man is free and clear. So good for him. Maybe there's a lesson in there. Don't ever turn yourself in, I guess. I don't know. Or maybe don't ever put yourself in a position like Antonio Brown put himself in. Maybe that's the bigger lesson. I don't know. I, all I know is this. The world is nutty. All right, how about this? A woman's prison in Washington confirmed an outkick. It holds a male. Now, I want you to listen to this story. It holds a male. You ready? That a woman's prison. You ready? A woman's prison is holding a male who repeatedly raped a 13-year-old girl. He moved her, they moved him, her, to a women's prison because he sometimes feels like he is a woman. And the male inmates scare him. Now I want you to think about that just for a second. So this is a male. All right, this is a dude that repeatedly 
repeatedly raped a 13-year-old girl. Goes to jail. Men's prison. Says, wait a second. I sometimes feel like I am a girl. The dip, you know what's in Washington, the state, not the city, say, you know what? You're right. Let's put you in the women's prison. Because, well, the men scare me. I want you to think about that for a second. Does anybody ever care about the victim's rights? Can I can I ask? Does anybody? Why are we so I don't know the right word, desensitized to the victim. So you are a criminal of the worst kind, even in prisons. Now, remember this, even in prisons, there is law and order relative to children's sex crimes. You are considered, even in prison, among the worst of the worst, the worst. But this fool, because, well, you know, I sometimes feel like a woman gets moved to a woman's prison. Again, I understand in a women's prison, there are the worst of the worst of the women. But still, are we not marginalizing again women by moving a dude to a women's prison? Aren't we saying women, ah, you're just disposable. You're just disposable. Get out of here. We don't care about your thoughts. So now I've got women that have to have a dude in their prison. You can't even go to prison as a woman and get away from being marginalized. It's the damnedest thing I have ever heard, and I've heard a lot of things. I have. This head has heard some things, and that is unbelievable. A woman commits a crime. Let's just say for the sake of argument, she's way down on her luck, trying to just get three squares in a bed. She commits a crime, knows she's going to prison. So she goes to prison. She can't even hang with other women without having a dude being transported in here because, well, he feels sad sometimes and feels like a woman. Unbelievable. I don't even have the words for it, if you want to know the truth. I don't even have the sentence for this. So now you're sitting there in a cell, and I'm guessing they didn't move this dude into the cell. But we don't care about the 13-year-old girl. We don't care about women. We just care about who? The rapist and his feeling as a woman. Hell, sometimes I feel skinny. Ah. I, I, I honestly... I don't have an answer for all this stupidity. All right. I like Reggie Bush. I liked Reggie Bush as a player. I like their teams. Didn't love them, liked them. Rondale White, wasn't that his name? Lindale White, Matt Leiner. They had really good teams at USC. Reggie Bush lost his Heisman Trophy. This is what I like about Reggie Bush. Reggie Bush is now just coming at people. And when I say people, I'm saying the NCAA. Look, I don't know whether Reggie Bush should have lost his Heisman. It seems like what Reggie Bush did 
uh, was in violation of NCAA rules. It seems like, again, I don't know. Who knows? Pete Carroll had to have known. All right, whatever. Times were a little different. All right. Now, do you just say because times are a little different, do you just say, hey, look, all right, we are going to now give Reggie Bush's Heisman back. I don't have the answer for that. I really don't. But let's show, starting with the first one, of Reggie Bush and what he is saying about Mark Emmerich. I wonder why the NCAA has gone quiet on me. They had a lot to say last year. These are some pretty serious allegations. Don't run now, Mark. The party is just getting started. Mark Emmerich is a con man, a thief, a liar, but most importantly, he is a coward. Hello, Heisman Trust. Well, I got to tell you, um, pretty interesting. Pretty interesting that Reggie Bush is now saying the things that he is saying. See, I go on Twitter and I say stuff, probably too much stuff. And as I said, I said last night, I was kind of an idiot, but a good thing came out. I like the fact that people are now starting to speak up for themselves, even if it is a bit after the fact. Reggie Bush wants his damn Heisman back. And here's what also he says. We got receipts. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't. I don't know. Does that mean they told him they weren't taking his Heisman and then they did? Or whatever. I don't know. But you know what I do know? It's fascinating to watch. Mark replied underneath this, get him, Reggie. But no matter what happens moving forward, we all saw what you did between the lines every Saturday. No one can take that away. You earned that. And with NIL now, you absolutely need to be reinstalled at USC and the Heisman Trust. I don't know if that's true or not. And I'm a Reggie Bush fan. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm not going to say that he absolutely deserves to because there were a lot of us that played completely and totally by the rules. At Indiana, I'm telling you, Coach Knight fired me for making one phone call too many during a week because I didn't communicate with the other assistant coach who had also made a phone call. There was a one phone call a week to recruit minimum, and I screwed it up. So those of us that live by these rules look at people that apparently didn't, and I'm going to get to that in a second because Reggie Bush addresses that as well, and we go, wait a second. This is a little bit like steroids. Some second baseman down in double A decides to take roids. The other second baseman decides not to. The guy that doesn't take steroids is selling insurance in Poughkeepsie. The guy that does take steroids is hitting home runs in the bigs, making millions. I'm just saying there are consequences. It's not a victimless crime. All right, here's the next one. The truth is the NCAA's only witness is a convicted felon who was in prison for rape months before he sat down with the NCAA to spread more lies, which they believe. 
Now they are paying for it. Literally, 8 million. Jeez, how do you guys look yourselves in the mirror? All right. There you go. So Reggie Bush is saying what a lot of people are saying, and that is, you're listening to idiots. You paid off idiots. And next thing you know, as judge, juror, and executor, you've taken something that a man feels like he worked like crazy to achieve. Now, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing you got to understand. There's always a backstory. You guys know this. If you paid attention to this show, even a little bit, there's always a back story. Things are never, ever, ever as they seem, ladies and gentlemen. So the backstory you're getting is Reggie Bush's. It's actually the story that you're getting. Personally, I like it. Personally, I like Reggie Bush's story. I think it's freaking great. I do. I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome what he's doing. But never, ever, ever, ever forget, there is always, always, always a backstory. Always. And the backstory has both sides. Now, very simple. Here's the deal. If I'm Reggie Bush, I'm looking at, well, the very popular Heisman House commercials. And I'm looking at these guys doing these commercials, and all of a sudden, as Lomas Brown told us earlier this week, hey, look, these guys are having a lot of fun. Barry Sanders is becoming a real guy. Barry Sanders is out of his shell. Barry Sanders is a dude that people are hanging out with, want to talk about now. It's a resurrection. Now, Reggie Bush already has that. The Wendy's commercials are fantastic, no question about it. And of course, but the Heisman stuff, man, oh man, man, oh man, I got to tell you, that stuff, if I'm Reggie Bush and I'm looking and there's Liner and there's Bud Sanders and, you know, Mayfield and, and uh, Kyler Murray, I want a little piece of that too. Why not? Seems like a lot of fun to me. Hey, we got sad news also with a running back. Um, and this is, I don't know. You know, I understand that people have been dying for a long time. Don't get me wrong. Uh, for different reasons. It's nothing is ever always about one thing. And a lot of people want to say, well, everybody that gets vaxxed is dying or nobody that gets vaxxed is dying. I don't know. But I do know this. Running back Ronnie Hillman was only 31 years old. And if you remember or pay attention at all, to the NFL. Ronnie Hillman uh, was a terrific running back, but he's only 31 years old and he had liver cancer. Then he got pneumonia and Ronnie Hillman died yesterday. Ronnie Hillman died at 31 years old. And look, I didn't know Ronnie Hillman, but I like watching Ronnie Hillman play football. And I got goosebumps when I'm talking about this because I just feel as if, and again, I'm not placing blame anywhere. Believe me, I'm not. And I'm not saying that everybody that got the vaccine is, I'm not, even a little bit. But man, oh man, oh man, does it seem like to me that guys like Ronnie Hillman and others are just dropping dead left and right. Now, Ronnie's case, 
it, you know, he had liver and he went to the hospice. But how about Franco Harris yesterday? Did you see any of this? Did you see there were interviews with Franco Harris yesterday? Did you see that there was Franco Harris with Chris Russo? And the next thing you know, look, I'm not, I am not saying anything about anything uh, to make this political at all. But all I'm saying is love the people you're with. Serious business. Because for whatever the reason, whatever the cause, it feels like, I'm not saying it is, but it feels like people at varying young-ish ages are dying at rates that we've not really ever seen. It feels that way, at least to me. So as I look at this, I say to myself, wow, wow, horrendous. Bleacher Report, keeping with the NFL, is saying that the NFL has announced a multi-year deal with Google's YouTube TV for exclusive Sunday ticket rights. So there you go. So the Sunday ticket, which I first came across on DirecTV, uh, when I left DirecTV, I couldn't get Sunday ticket. I didn't like that. But now Sunday ticket is going to be on YouTube TV. Now, I ask a very simple question. And I always, as always, must defer to the YouTube chat. Does that make it easier for me to get it? Does it make it more difficult for me to get it? How does this make it for me? All right? Me. I don't know. But I do know this. It was easy when I had direct TV. I pushed the button. It said buy. I paid half. Then I paid another half. I don't know. But I want to know. Because I have yet to figure out the whole YouTube TV slash uh, Xfinity slash whatever. So please inform me. Ryan Mueller says we will pay for another daggone subscription. All right. Dan, where is your tan or is it just too much lighting? I fell asleep yesterday in the sun. I've been sick and it was absolutely glorious. Dan, Bill Martin says, I have YouTube TV. It's far better and far cheaper. Uh, Spice Rack says, I ain't signing up for Sunday Ticket on YouTube, just like I didn't on Direct TV. So there you go. A lot of people are saying the jab. Dan Zachary says, the only reason I've not got Sunday Ticket is because of Direct TV. Being on YouTube makes it easier for me. I use YouTube TV as a way to watch TV. So what I'm thinking is this. It makes it easier for a guy that doesn't have direct TV. Direct TV, it was the only way that you could get the Sunday ticket. Where I live, direct TV wasn't going to work. It just wasn't. It was too low. There were trees. It wasn't going to come in. And frankly, I got tired of direct TV. I got tired of it going out. I got tired of being at the whim of direct TV. The cables are underground. Everything is beautiful. 
I got no problem with the good folks at Xfinity. None. Zero. Zip. So there you go. But I do agree it is going to be easier because now I can simply get it. And getting it is, well, this is going to be really stupid, the key to having it. Right? No, I think so. So there you go. Direct TV, we are in. Oh, away we go. All right. A uh, couple of other things. We had Bob Rathburn on. As we move forward, there's a lot going on in college football. And I want to go back to Mike Leach. Next time I interview a college football coach or basketball coach, I'm going to bring up the fact that Mike Leach spoke out ingraining himself to the students at Washington State about the awfulness they face with student loans. I would love to play it for you, but it's a 10-minute rant. It's 10 minutes, and that would be less of me. I only have 120 minutes, and 10 minutes of somebody else, well, frankly, it puts me to sleep. All right? But understand this. What Mike Leach was saying puts him in a position with the students on his campus of being one of them. So often we look now at college athletics, particularly the major sports, and it's like, dead gone. There's the football way out here, the basketball way out here, while campus is right here. So what do coaches do? They go see sorority. They go to student groups. They give them a T-shirt, a piece of pizza, and that's all good. Certainly that helps, but it's not like becoming one of them. It's not like saying, hey, look, I'm with you. I got student loans. I got a platform. Student loans, the interest, the time is crap. And if more college coaches did that, I swear to God, it wouldn't change. It's a government organization. But it would certainly cause a lot of panties to get wadded up and a lot of people to take notice. Imagine if Sanders, Dion and Saban, Nick, were at the forefront right now of talking about how student loans are bad for students. How, not forgiveness. I'm not talking forgiveness. I'm talking about just simply helping. That's it. Helping. So there you go. I got one other thing for you. College basketball is whacked out. I mean, it is whacked out. We already talked about what happened with Eastern Illinois last night. Did you know last night, number 25, Arizona State, who's played really well under Bobby Hurley, went to San Francisco and lost by not 10, not 20, not 30, not 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, but 37 points, 97 to 60. College basketball is nuts right now. So they go up to San Francisco, USF, home of the Dons, and lose by 37 points. Man. College basketball. Awesome. All right. We're going to have a chat. We're going to talk some Nebraska football coming up here. What is this? I didn't see that. Is there a poll on the YouTube chat that I need to know about? Are you guys sneaking? How is Dan bronzing in Florida so far? I got to tell you, my daughter over here, my all, everybody, we're at the, and I fell dead asleep. I had worked out like a crazy person, was feeling terrible. 
I fell asleep. I went out, played pickleball one-on-one against my wife. She crushed my soul. We went and had a couple beers. Uh, I came home, wasn't feeling great. My uh, mother-in-law and I took a little snort of whiskey. Um, I beat my daughter in rummy, whined about having to do the dishes, and went to bed. And I did whine about having to do the dishes. I did. I (laughs) did. What do you want me to tell you? I'm like, well, damn, I'm paying for everything, and I got to do the dishes. What a little batch. Uh, Nick Klaus is the man. He is the man inside of Nebraska football. We're going to talk because there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in Nebraska. Did you know that Nebraska football is being compared to USC basketball? Now, I'm thinking to myself, USC basketball, Andy Einfeld, he's been there a long time. Matt Rule is over here at Nebraska. How are these two comparable? But I was reading an article today, and I got to tell you, they're very, very comparable. All right. Then I got the damn awards. The damn awards are good today. Think you could be a pilot award. The brotherly love award. Social media savvy award. Historic dump award. You know we like an historic dump around here. And, of course, the chips are down awards. We got all that. We got Nick Klaus coming up. We're going to talk interesting stuff with Nebraska football. If you don't know about Nebraska football, I can't help you, but it's an unbelievable place to play. It's an unbelievable place to broadcast a basketball game, much less a freaking football game. We'll be right back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Man, I've been talking to Nate Klaus, calling him Nick. I have a friend named Nick Klaus. I apologize, Nate, um, off the air. I, I'm I'm sorry. What an idiot. No, I am. You're, um, you're good. No, you don't be afraid to whack me around a little bit. All right, we're going to talk a little Nebraska football. Rivals inside Nebraska. It's always, always something going on there. I want to get into this uh, real quick. Number one quarterback recruit in the country. He is going to Ohio State. Uh, Dylan Renola. I may say the name wrong, but his dad, I remember his dad. His dad was a great player. He's kept on staff at Nebraska by Matt Rule. So all of a sudden, Dylan decides to decommit 
What's going on here? I like it. I like yes. this. Well, so yeah, uh, Dylan, like you said, is the number one quarterback recruit in the class of 2024. Um, now his uncle is the one who's the O-line coach okay. at Nebraska. And he was he was kept as a holdover by uh Matt Rule. Um, and so his uncle is Donovan Riola. Now, Dylan Riola's dad, Dominic, um was, I mean, he's All-American, Outland Trophy Award winner. I mean, his jersey is retired at Nebraska. Um, and so when, you know, if and when Dylan Riola, the number one quarterback in the country for next year's recruiting class, were to come to Nebraska, he would look up at the, you know, by the scoreboard and see his dad's jersey number up there. So um, there's a lot of family connections. Uh, now, obviously, Matt Rule kind of alluded to the fact that, hey, you know, I kept Donovan Riola um, on my staff because I believe him believe in him as a head or as an offensive line coach. Every one of his offensive linemen uh, had nothing but great things to say about him. And during the transition, he showed up to work every single day uh, and went went about everything business as usual. So, um, so you know, I think there's a lot of parts there as to why Matt Rule kept him. But it doesn't hurt that his nephew is the number one player in the country. Right now, I, I watched Jeff Sims at Georgia Tech. I, look, I don't know if he's the greatest quarter. I don't know, but he's damn good, that guy. I thought he is the perfect kind of modern college quarterback. Throw for over 4,000, run for over 1,000. Getting him, that's a huge deal for Matt Rule and Nebraska, no? Yeah, no, that, that is a very huge deal. Uh I mean, Jeff Sims, he's a difference maker. He, he's somebody who can make plays with his with his legs, uh, extend the play, um, you know, and he's fairly accurate. I, I wouldn't say that he's going to be passing for 300 plus yards every game. Um, that's not what Matt Rule wants to do. He wants to he wants to control things with the at the line of scrimmage with the run game, but also have somebody who can make quick decisions and, and deliver accurate passes. And look. Matt Rule and Jeff Collins, who was a former head coach at, at Georgia Tech, go way back uh, to, to their days at Temple. And I believe that Matt Rule uh, trusts Jeff Collins very much when Jeff Collins said, hey, this kid is the real deal. He's uh, a great leader, someone you want in your locker room, and he's a great playmaker. So they went out and were able to secure a good, good quarterback out of the transfer portal. I, I got. I should have opened with this because um, when when Frost went to Nebraska, Scott Frost, I thought to myself, "That's perfect." But I always say this: there's always a backstory. You never, you know. I always say you never know what happens when the front door of someone's house closes, right? You never. You can see think what what happened there. What 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 was the issue here, and what does Matt Rule have to do to change it? You know, I think that. I mean, there's a lot of things that were going on, and I, I think more than anything, um, a lack of experience at leading a program like Nebraska uh, was probably, you know, the the root of of everything that was was happening at Nebraska. I, I believe that, um, you know, when you come in and and you take over a program like Nebraska, you need to have a good foundation of experience leading a program like that. Now, Scott Frost obviously had that experience as a former player, as a former national champion at Nebraska. Um, but there's a difference between being the quarterback at Nebraska and actually being the the figurehead of the program and running it like a company, running it like a 
you know, a CEO would a Fortune 500 company. Um, and and I, I think there was a little bit of a lack of accountability with certain things. And, um, you know, I, I just I, I think the root of it was just a lack of experience. Um, now, with what Matt Rule needs to do, I think he needs to establish that that, uh, you know, the accountability back in the program. Uh, but he has experience kind of resurrecting some programs. Uh, what what he did at Temple, what he did at Baylor, walking into that situation that they were in when he took over, um, you know, and, and having them winning 11 games uh, just a couple of years after he took over. I mean, that was he has the 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 blueprint, if you will, to, to, to kind of get things back in order. So. Uh, I think that he was the perfect man for the job. I think the athletic director, Trev Alberts, did a fantastic job with the coaching search, and, and they went out and they got their number one guy in Matt Rule. You know, um, did did Rule take shots at Miami and Oregon? Is that what I'm reading? <laughs> I, you know, I, I think – I don't know if he necessarily took shots. Uh, there may have been, you know – some maybe some backhanded comments. I I mean I I don't know. I I think that I think that Matt Rule is very comfortable with who he is, the type of program that he wants to run, um, and and he's not afraid to let people know, hey, this is how I'm going to do it, and this is the way that it works. Um, you know, say what you want to say about Matt Rule and and what happened with the Carolina Panthers, but you can't argue with the success that he's had in the college game. Um, and he'll be the first one to tell you that I learned a lot about myself as a head coach with the way things happen in, in Carolina. Um, and my ego is not too big to to kind of, you know, to, to, to use those lessons that I learned in, in the pro game and, and you know, kind of put them into action, uh, you know, at Nebraska. And so I, I think that he's very comfortable. He's very genuine with with who he is, the type of program he wants to run. Um, you know, and he's not going to get up in front of anybody and fake it. You know, one of the things I, I look to me, uh, if I'm Matt Rule, the first thing that I'm doing is what he's doing. I got to get a quarterback. Um, if there's discipline that's needed, fine. I got to get my staff. And look, I got to show that I am unafraid on the recruiting trail of going up. I don't give a damn if it's Oregon. I don't give a damn if it's Miami, Ohio State. Let me go this route with you. I always felt like two schools in the Big Ten were really positioned nicely for NIL. One was Ohio State. It's the game in town. There's really no pro sports team in there. And then the other is Nebraska for a variety of reasons, same reasons. But also, you know what? The fan base is insane. How is Nebraska in the world of NIL? How are they fixed? Well, they're fixed up very, very well. Um, you know, they're they're never going to be the top NIL destination, but they're going to be able to to come very close and match in some of those deals. Um, you know, Casey Thompson last year is making well over six figures with certain NIL deals. Um, you know, if you're the quarterback, if you're, I mean, if you're a starter, you're making decent NIL money at Nebraska, and that's just like you said, Danny. They've got a tremendous fan base. There's, I mean, they're the only show in town. There's no other uh, Division One football program in the state. There's obviously no pro sports uh, in the state of Nebraska. So you are the, you have everyone's attention. Um, and so they're set up very well with the NIL. And, and that's a whole new layer to, to recruiting these days, as you know. 
Um, it's not just about, you know, how, how you're going to be developed when you get into a program now or, or how you're going to be set up for maybe obtaining, you know, your goals to playing at the next level. It's, it's okay. What can you do for me? Um, you know, how can I make money, uh, off my name, image and likeness. And at Nebraska, you can certainly cash in on that, uh, because everyone wants to, to have some sort of sponsorship deal with you. Um, the collectives at Nebraska are are very, very big um, and well-funded. Uh, and so that's something I think, even though Matt Rule has never had to deal with that before now, uh, because that all kind of came about while he was in the pro game, um, he's walking into a really good situation at Nebraska, having those types of things already in place and well-funded NIL collectives uh, to, to work with. Nate, what what... Right from the get-go, you got Jeff Sims coming, Casey Thompson. You know, he's got another year if he wants. Nebraska fans are the best in the country, my opinion, showing up. Uh, what is the expectation immediately for Matt Rule? What will be considered a success? What will be considered a disappointment? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question because the fans that I'm talking to, they're not putting necessarily a win-loss record on year number one on Matt Rule. Uh, he has a long contract. Nebraska has, as uh, you know, they're committed to him and they've given him a long runway. Now, the fans at the same time, you know, they're they're not saying, well, this is a a five, six, seven year rebuild project. That's that's out of the question. But I, I think they want to see respectable football. They want to watch a game and be proud of the product on the field, um, and they want consistency. It's not about. Uh, um, you know, just playing within one score. Scott Frost did that a lot. He had a lot of close games at Nebraska, but he could never win those close games. And so um, I, I think that they're not necessarily saying, well, if Matt Rule doesn't win six games and go to a bowl game in year number one, it wasn't a success. Um, but I, I think they just want to see a respectable product on the field. They want to see the team continuing to get better and and kind of light at the end of the tunnel, if you will. What happened, uh, last thing I'll let you go, what, what happened here? I know Mickey Joseph, they, you know, Trev Alberts, you're, you're done over here. What, what happened here and what, what is going to happen with this situation with Joseph moving forward? You know, I, I'm not sure. We kind of have to just let the legal process play out there. That was, I mean, I've covered Nebraska football or been involved with Nebraska football for 20 plus years now. And when that news came out about, you know, the the domestic violence with uh, Mickey Joseph and everything, um, you know, that that was shocking. I, I did not expect, you know, I mean, you, you never you hate to hear about anything like that that ever happens. But, um, you know, Mickey was was set up to either, you know, I mean, he was interviewing for some some lower level head coaching jobs. Um, and he was set up to become, you know, possibly the highest paid assistant coach in the country uh, on Matt Rule's staff. And and then, you know, he, he run and kind of ran into this. Whoa. Well, I look bad. I need to shave. Uh, I don't know what happened. We lost him. Well, I appreciate Nate for coming on. I uh, very much appreciate Nate for coming on. Dylan, send me a note. I assume that we're still on. Uh, I need to button up. I'm not looking very good. Honest to God, it's it's time to get a whole face makeover. You know what I mean? Get the eyes going. 
right. Um, appreciate. I don't know what happened, but I appreciate Nate for coming on. I got to get into some Big Ten basketball. All right. Now, I'm going to get into some damn awards, but I'm going to get into some Big Ten basketball here. Look, I said last night on Twitter after watching Michigan lose again, and I'm going to get into Michigan at the end of the show. But I said yesterday that I felt like the Big Ten stinks. Now, I think that's too strong. I think I went a little strong with that. But Big Ten basketball, once Jim Beheim made the point not only on this show but nationally that the Big Ten really struggled when playing national teams, it really caught me. It really did. It caught me strong. Like, wait a second. He's not wrong. See, here's the deal. I live in Big Ten country. I watch the Big Ten Network. I watch Fox. I watch ESPN and announcers, and they're right. Big Ten teams are good. But I've changed my thinking. I have. I've changed my thinking to where – hold on here a second. The Big Ten needs to be good against good teams. Now, I'm going to say that again. The Big Ten – needs to be good against good teams. Now, here's the deal with that. The Big Ten right now has Purdue number one. According to this, Indiana 18, they shouldn't be ranked. Wisconsin 17, Illinois 16. That's it. Ohio State, I think, is going to be good. Michigan looked okay. Sparty, if they get healthy. Rutgers a tough out. But when you look at the Big Ten in basketball, Purdue is carrying the day, period. Indiana, because of injury, if you want to say, or because maybe they were just not ready, can't beat good teams. Michigan had a chance last night. North Carolina is playing much better. Michigan can't beat good teams. Iowa lost to Eastern freaking Illinois. My buddy, Marty Simmons, you got to be able to beat good teams, period. I look at Ohio State. Ohio State lost this weekend, should have won. Pete Nance hit a shot. Ohio State lost to North Carolina. Ohio State lost to Duke. Ohio State lost to San Diego State. So I look at it and I go, well, wait a second here. You got to beat good teams. I mean, Records are made by beating good teams. That's why Purdue is pretty good. I look at Maryland, who I thought got off to a terrific start to the season. I mean, people were on my backside. Oh, you said Turgeon was the guy. Nobody could replace him. Not All right, well, they lost to Tennessee. They lost to UCLA. Uh, they lost to Wisconsin. Beat Illinois, that's a home Big Ten game, fine. The only good team they've beaten is Miami. People act all the time like these teams are so good, and I'm guilty of it. Calvin Sampson, the coach at Houston, said about the uh, American, we need somebody at ESPN that promotes the American like Dockage does the Big Ten, and I'm right. But when Beheim said this, I started looking. All right, Wisconsin lost to Kansas, lost to Wake, 
beat Marquette, good win, rivalry, won a couple league games, beat USC, okay win. But you got to beat good teams. People lose their mind, but you got to beat good teams. Last team I'm going to do for you is Illinois. Man, oh, man, I had Illinois fans telling me this is our year. This is our team. We're this. We're that. Okay. Illinois. Beat Virginia. That's beating a good team. No, I'm sorry. Lost to Virginia. Lost to Virginia. Beat Syracuse. All right. Syracuse wasn't very good then. They're better now, so that's going to look like a better win. Beat UCLA. That's a good win. Beat Texas. That's a good win. So when I look at Illinois, I say to myself, all right, you lost to Virginia. You lost a home game against Penn State by 15. And you lost to Maryland. But you beat a couple good teams. Maybe you're legit. My, don't even get me started on Indiana. Indiana just beat Elon, and we go, yay, Ross, six banner coming. But the truth of the matter is you lose at Rutgers, you lose by 20, or actually 14 to Arizona, and 22 to Kansas. So who have you beaten? Good win at Xavier. That win will keep looking better. Good win against North Carolina. At the time, Carolina was reeling. Carolina's better now. That win will look better. But you got Elon, you got Kennesaw State, Jackson State, Little Rock, Miami, Ohio, Bethune-Cookman, Moorhead State. Indiana needs some wins. Anyway, Beheim opened my eyes to it. He really did. Beheim, when he said that, I thought, nah, that's crap. Nah, I don't buy it. I ain't buying it. Because I think the Big Ten is really good. And if I think the Big Ten is really good, then it's got to be really good. But it ain't. And it needs to be. All right. Now, let me back up a second. Before we go, i got to give you the antithesis of that. That is Purdue. I've said this before. I'll say this again. And I won't stop saying it. Purdue is 12-0. A lot of teams could schedule themselves 12-0. Purdue did not do that. Purdue beat Duke. Purdue beat West Virginia. Purdue beat Florida State, struggling but better. Purdue beat Marquette. Purdue beat Gonzaga. I mean, look, I don't know what to tell you. Certainly, there are games like New Orleans. There are games like Hofstra. There are games like Milwaukee, App State, I get it. But when you look at, they played in order, Marquette, West Virginia, Gonzaga, Duke, Florida State, Minnesota. Then they played Hofstra, and then they had to go to Nebraska. That's a pretty tough schedule. That's a very tough schedule. One after the other, after the other, after the other. That's why I say, when you look at Purdue, You're seeing a group that has earned being number one. As I said, anybody can schedule. You can schedule yourself number one, period. But Purdue didn't. They won themselves number one. All right, when we come back, it's the Danny Awards. And, yes, I'm getting ready for the golf match of the century. It's Urban Meyer 
Dan Dockage against Tom Dockage and Pete Dockage at Old Florida Golf Course. But the highlight isn't the golf match. The highlight is what we're going to see, hopefully, in the clubhouse at Old Florida Golf Golf and Country Club. When we come back, I'll tell you who and what we might see in that clubhouse. Stay right here. It's the Dammy Awards and something that you'll never, ever, ever be able to unsee when we come back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. Um, it's going to happen at about noon. We're going to walk into Old Florida Golf Coach, which is owned, started, ran by the great Mike Ditka. And there is a very good chance that Ditka will be in there playing gin with his buddies, smoking a cigar. And I'm hoping against hope that Ditka isn't naked. Uh, I hope not. There have been reports that he at Bobolink will play golf with only or play gin with only a towel. I was at Old Florida last year at this time, and I got to tell you, uh, he was there. He was fully clothed, and we were very happy about that. Let's just be honest, so that we could continue and just play golf and have a nice afternoon. You know what I'm saying? I mean, just, you know. Have a lovely time at Old Florida. It's a golf experience. And uh, I'm not going to lie. I need a win. All right. So hopefully Urban and myself can take down my brother and my nephew, who, by the way, has $762 of mine in his pocket in this calendar year. And I believe this to be the last time. Let's go to the Demi Awards. bump it up bump it up bump it up so, ladies and gentlemen, you think, you think you can be a pilot. Let's have a look at this video. Flying a 747 in low visibility. Now, this is what it looks like. Only problem is you're, what, 35,000 feet in the air? So my brother wanted to be a pilot. He did. He wanted to be a pilot. He wanted to be able to fly. And the first time that he went up in the air like that, he came out of clouds, not necessarily like that because it wasn't dark. He came out of clouds and next thing you know, a plane that apparently he had misread went past him at too close of a distance. My brother being an incredibly intelligent man, radioed down and said, I am landing and I am done. Always remember when you are flying a plane and you have a quote fender bender, you're dead. You're driving around Naples, you pull out a pinchers, you bump into somebody, you got no problem. 
Now, this also, this video also explains how people like JFK, who died because he didn't know if he was going up or down, can lose sight of whether they are going up or down or north or south or whatever. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why none of us, and I mean none of us, need to go in the cockpit. Lee, would you agree with this? We never need to go into the cockpit in bad weather and see what the pilots are seeing. Yes. I am showing video of a pilot flying in pitch dark clouds. You don't want to do it. My brother, as I said, came out of clouds, missed the plane by, however, said, screw it. I don't want to be. A, I don't want to be a pilot. What did Jerry Seinfeld say? I don't want to be a pirate. Not pilot. Pirate. All right. The Brotherly Love Award. This is good. This needs to happen more. Um, the Eagles. The Eagles sent cheesesteaks to the Jaguars as a thank you for their win over the Dallas Cowboys. Now, how about this? They showed some love. They gifted them cheesecakes. Um, Jeff Harris said he got a call for 35 cheesesteaks, 25 large fries to be delivered to Jacksonville head coach Doug Peterson. Now, remember, Doug Peterson was the coach of the Philadelphia Eagles in 2017 when they won the, uh, I was going to say, World Series, the Super Bowl. So there was a relationship there, even though they fired him. Harris thought it was a prank. Harris owns a cheesesteak place. But someone from the Eagles reached out and said, yeah, we're trying to send 35 cheesesteaks, 25 fries. We have a lot of Philly transplants, Harris said, down there in uh, Jacksonville. So it wasn't crazy, but it was definitely unexpected, he said, to get a call from the Eagles. The place is named Philly's Finest. It's been in business 25 years, and usually there's a couple hundred Eagles fans watching the Eagles on a given Sunday in the place. So it isn't that unusual. So they decided, hey, you know what? We're going to get these cheesesteaks. We're going to send them. It was a double win, triple win, really. The Eagles won. The Jaguars won. The Cowboys lost. It was great. I would add a fourth for Harris. He got to send out a hell of a delivery uh, to the Eagles, or excuse me, to the Jacksonville. Thus, his place, Philly's finest, made some cash. So it was a win, 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 win for everybody. And I ain't mad about it. And you shouldn't be mad about it. You should be very happy about it. Um, media savvy. We all know that players in this day and age, they have what? They, ladies and gentlemen, have a brand. And that brand is theirs and theirs alone. And how they manage that brand can be magnificent or it can be hurtful. Well, let me tell you about somebody, somebody that managed their brand very well. 
There's a defensive back slash wide receiver named Travis Hunter. Travis Hunter coming out of high school was the number two player in the country. He committed to Florida State. All of a sudden, prime time, Deion Sanders at Jackson State gets involved. Next thing you know, Travis Hunter says, screw this. I'm going to hang my hat at Jackson State with Coach Prime. Guess what? Works out great. Travis Hunter not only is a defensive back, the best one maybe in college football, but Travis Hunter developed like primetime into an offensive player. Travis Hunter got to be a wide receiver, caught 18 balls. Travis Hunter, when Deion Sanders left, said, all right, well, I'm looking at some schools. I'm going to look at some schools. I'm going to transfer from Jackson State. Now, a lot of people said, no, you're not. A lot of people said, you are simply going to go to Colorado with Deion Sanders. He said, no, 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 no. I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking. All right. He wasn't looking. But what he did was genius. He drew it out. Georgia, USC, Miami all pretending to be in the mix. What did this young man do? He said, screw it. He reached 100,000 subscribers on his YouTube page. Now, I don't know what that pays, but it's got to pay something, right? And what did he do? He did what he everybody knew he was going to do. He committed to Colorado and Coach Prime saying, I committed to Coach Prime at Jackson State when he was there. I want to honor my commitment and stay with him. I felt like I learned a lot with him at Jackson State, so I'm going to stick with him so I can continue to grind, continue to show love, continue to put the work in so I can get to the next level. There you go. So it's a win, 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 win. He gets his 100,000 viewers. Prime gets what a guy that is being called a human highlight reel. and guess what? Georgia, USC, and Miami, I'll get played a little bit, but ain't nothing wrong with playing around when you're a kid and you got that kind of impact. Good for Travis Hunter. Good for Prime. Good for YouTube. I'm all in on all of it. You know I like this. You know I like this. You know I like this a lot. My buddy, Marty Simmons. Marty Simmons decided, well, my Eastern Illinois team is going to play Iowa. Eastern Illinois, good team. Not great. Lost some games. Okay, bad team, actually. Who am I kidding? I like Marty, so I said they're a good team. Marty and I, full disclosure, played a couple years at Indiana. Marty transferred because Coach Knight humiliated him, did a bunch of things, whatever, and he went to Evansville, where he became an All-American. His name, number is in the rafters. His jersey hangs in Robert Stadium. Marty coached there and did an absolute fantastic job. Here it is. Eastern Illinois, 92-83, as a 31-and-a-half-point underdog. A historic upset in college basketball. They were 80 to 1 on the money line at Points Bet USA, got as high as 350 to 1. Now, read this for context. The 16th seed, UMBC, was only 
25 to 1. Only 25 to 1 on the money line when it beat number one Virginia in 2018. Let me say that again. 80 to 1 on the money line, and this makes total sense because you're playing on the road in December. It makes total sense. It just does. I mean, the NCAA tournament, to get into the NCAA tournament, you got to be a hot team. I say it every year. UMBC rolled through their conference tournament, so you're a hot team. Eastern Illinois was 3-9 and nine coming in. But Eastern Illinois got 22 from a kid named Kenyon Hughes, got a performance of an absolute lifetime out of the entire squad, and went in and did what teams do. Very rarely. Actually, never. So for me to say, do what teams do, I'm kind of lying. Now, here's the beauty of it. You ready? The beauty of it is this. They didn't shoot 15 to 18 from the three-point line to overcome a 30-point point spread. They shot 6 of 15. They shot 30 for 45 on twos. They out-rebounded. Now, I want you to listen to that. They out-rebounded Iowa. So this is a squad that has three wins that out-rebounds a Big Ten team 40 to 38, 42 to 38, excuse me. That's how you win basketball games. They didn't make a ton of shots. The kid that led him in scoring came off the bench, didn't make a three. Now, let's go the other way. Iowa. Iowa took 33 threes and made seven. 33 and made seven. So they're jacking threes. The other team's making twos, and away you win. It's a fourth power five win for Eastern Illinois. The first in 35 years over a Big Ten team. The game, according to Iowa fans, doesn't really count because it was moved up four and a half hours. Iowa broke out because of the early start. Maybe Eastern was tripping or slipping. 18 to four is what Iowa did. And then the kid that I mentioned, the aforementioned Kenyon Hughes went dunk, dunk, dunk. Three straight dunks in a minute and eight seconds to tie the game up at 55. Next thing you know, with five and a half to play, they're up 10. Uh, Eastern Illinois went 21 of 29 in the second half, made four of their eight threes. Guess what Iowa did? Two for 17 from threes. Would have been a bigger defeat if Eastern Illinois could make free throws. They made nine of 17. There you go. Ladies and gentlemen, there you go. Good for Marty Simmons. No, not good for Marty Simmons. Great for Marty Simmons. Not good for Eastern Illinois basketball. Great for Eastern Illinois basketball. Not good. Great. Great. So there you go. Marty Simmons and the fellas from Eastern Michigan got her, uh, Eastern Illinois got her done as 31 and a half point under.
doggies. There you go. All right. Look at this lady. You want to see crazy? I'll give you crazy. You want to see some crazy? Well, it's crazy here. She's just going to decide. She's just throwing stuff. She's in her pajamas, in her flip-flops, and she just decides it's time for me to just throw some stuff. Look at it. And look at that poor beaten down guy next to her. That dude is beaten down. He's got his mullet flowing. He's upset. He's hurt. Look at it. And let's see. So everybody acts calm while back fat lady, and she's got upper back fat. A lot of us just have lower back fat. She is not happy. I don't want to hear from any of you making fun of somebody. When somebody throws McDonald's all over the floor like this, they deserve to be made fun of. When they show up at McDonald's and they're ordering cheese bunnies and fries and they got back fat piling up and, ladies and gentlemen, they're wearing flip-flops with their, well, pajamas, then guess what? You deserve whatever's coming to you. I don't know what to tell you, and I don't know why this continues to happen across the country, but I swear to God, every single day I see this. Every day this happens. Somebody's mad at fast food. When you walk into McDonald's, or Hardee's, or Burger King, or KFC, or Chick-fil-A. Don't you already know what you're walking into? Don't you already understand what's happening here? Every McDonald's is the same. So back fat lady is mad. I don't know, but I'm tired of it. I've had enough of it. Just stop with it. Stop with throwing the food. Stop with tossing the fries. Stop with fighting people behind the couch, behind the bench, behind the place, behind this thing, whatever. Stop all of it. Just stop it. No more. No more fighting over what? Fast food. Put them in jail. Just put them in jail. Throw them in jail. Don't let them out of jail. You know what you got to do? Here's what you got to do. You say, all right, you got two choices. You're going to go down 82nd Street in Indianapolis. You're going to go from the Keystone Mall to I-465. There's a thousand fast food places. You're going to write an apology note to every one of them. Look, I am the dummy that threw chips, fries, and I apologize to you. It'll never happen. I won't let it happen. I swear to God. And then you got to hand it to a hundred different places. It's like when you're a little kid and you had a right on the blackboard. I will not make fun of Sister Geraldine ever again. I actually had a right on the blackboard. I will never flip off Sister Geraldine in class again. I will never flip off Sister Geraldine. And Geraldine is long. G-E-R-A-L-D-I-N-E. She was an 80 thousand-year-old nun that Freddie Vienna and I flipped off as Andy Atar was throwing pens into the ceiling in third grade. Andy and I got kicked out, got sent to Mrs. Jacobs' class. My mother was a third-grade teacher. You can imagine how that conversation went. It did not go well. All right, last night, I got more video of Jawan Howard. Now, 
Juwan Howard is one of, I always felt like, the really good guys. When I sent Coach Knight to CBS High School to recruit Juwan Howard, he came out to the car to walk Coach Knight into the school. It's like, Coach, it's a tough neighborhood. People think you're either a cop or a coach. I just want to make sure you're all right. And he walks us in. Always liked Juwan Howard. Watched him in high school. First recruiting trip I ever went on. A little gym in Loyola. He's in there balling. Everybody's there. Michigan, where he eventually went. Everybody's recruiting Juwan Howard. Fast forward. Legendary career. Legendary leader. Men's championships. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Becomes a coach. Longtime assistant. I felt like it was great that Juwan Howard got the Michigan job. I'm like, you know what? This dude didn't back into this. This dude got this job. Michigan did the right thing, hiring one of their own, and he had real success. Won the Big Ten. Beeline, the whole deal. He was gone. Howard took over. They won the Big Ten. It was terrific. And last year, he's going to go ahead and fight Greg Gard. All right. Then last night, he's going to get all mad. He's going to get all mad because the referee made a bad call. He's pushing, he's shoving, he's elbowing his players. I don't know what to tell you. But at some point, at some point, you just got to be an adult. I've always said this about modern college coaches. Modern college coaches, you see all of it right there. Modern college coaches are children. You get these guys out of the Big Ten, and they're still trying to show that they are the fiery, scrappy, down-with-the-players guys. Jason Whitlock said this about Juwan Howard, and I thought it was kind of fitting. As a person, Juwan Howard was one of the best young athletes I ever covered. Didn't see him turning into this angry person with little emotional control. He has the BLM victim mentality. Now, I don't know about the last sentence. I don't know about that. But what I do know is I did not see this evening. Now, I think, I think people are trying to tell you, well, he's got a competitive fire that burns. Everybody's got a competitive fire. Nobody was more of a maniac than I was on a sideline. But I wasn't elbowing players or slapping other coaches. Nobody, 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 nobody has been doing that, except for this guy. And it really needs to stop. He has a terrific athletic director in Ward Manuel. I'm a big Ward Manuel fan, full disclosure. I made a joke on ESPN when it was freezing cold and the school was canceled. I said, look, students are going to go to Skeeps. Oh, the Board of Health lady at Michigan raised hell. And Ward Manuel said, just stop it. His son goes here. He's making a joke. Leave that. So I've always liked Ward Manuel. He's a stand-up guy. He really needs, in my opinion now, to get Juwan Howard to understand that you are the coach. It is a different time. The world of Bobby Knight throwing a coat or me throwing a coat or Majerus punching a water cooler. I learned that from Majerus. Did it against Toledo, and it was glorious. Those days are over. We can't be happy. We got to be a little bit more civilized. We just do. It's the way the world works now. 
So anyway, if Howard wants to continue doing that, good for him. If they want to continue to promote it, good for them. But even I, the wildest, the most nuts coach maybe in the history of college basketball, I got to tell you to stop. And if I'm telling you, I guarantee you, I'm the last line of defense. I want coaches doing whatever coaches need to do, but I'm the last line of defense here. I am. I'm sorry. Juwan Howard, it's time. It's time to be an adult. It's time to put away foolish things. It's time to stop slapping and hitting. You want to argue with refs? God bless you. But you don't need to be shoving, slapping, doing all this silly stuff. You don't need to. You're better than that. You're better than that as a player. You're better than that as a leader. And you need to be better than that as a coach. All right. Who's our woke Who we got? Oh, boy, this ought to be good. This ought to be good. I see him. I see that beautiful man that keeps on giving. Even my dog is barking. Even my dog is unhappy uh, about this. Let's see. I can't read it, so I'm going to get it here in a minute. 45 billion support in omnibus bill is not enough. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? How much then is enough? How much are we going to say, yes, that is enough? Like people are making a big deal about Zelensky coming over here and being so, uh, what's the right word, gracious about the president by being so thankful. Well, you think? I mean, the dude ought to be gracious. The dude ought to be thankful. We're funding an entire war while not paying attention to our own people. We are allowing, what, four grand a day minimum, maybe as many as 20 grand a day to pour through our border? And we're happy and we are appreciative of this Zelensky guy? coming over here and saying, hey, we love us. We love us some President Biden. I, I would think you do. And now you got this omnibus bill that if you've read anything into it, and I haven't read it all, but I've read enough, I got to tell you. It's a continuation of an open check policy for border patrol of every place across the world, except for where? Except for here. It's amazing to me. I always believe in helping. I always believe in saying, you know what? We got to do this. We got to help others. We got to put people first. We got to do the things necessary because of our position. We've got to do the things necessary to help others. But you got to put us first. You're ruining the economy of southern of our southern border. Look what they've got to do in New York with the influx of illegal immigrants. We have an immigration policy designed to go through proper channels to gain citizenship. It ain't that hard. But we don't pay attention. You know, we pay it. Let's give Egypt. Let's give the Ukraine. Let's fight wars. All the while, where if I'm Zelensky, I'm like, hey. I got to ask you a question, Biden. You gave away a war criminal 
who understands a couple of things, mass murder, genocide, that type of thing, for a basketball player. That's what you gave away. Now, why would you do that? I'll hang up and listen. That's a question I would be asked because, look, that's not a question that's going to get asked. The question that's going to get asked is, well, can I have more? How about a little bit more? Can I can I get, you know, a little something for the effort? You know what I mean? Jeez, the world is absolutely freaking insane, and I don't like it. I don't like it even a little bit. You Indiana folks, bad news. Xavier Johnson is out. He's in a boot. They hope that he comes back. The kid's been in college a long time. I have been on Indiana's backside for not being good, but I've also said that Indiana should be, should be one of the best teams in college basketball if they can stay healthy. And those of you that understand sports, we talked about it with Ryan Tannehill, it is very, very difficult to stay healthy. So now you got your point guard that's out, so it's going to be on others, all right? It's going to be on others to step up. Kid named Tamar Bates, going to get a great opportunity. We'll see what happens. But I don't like I don't like when kids get hurt. I don't like it a bit. If Indiana's going to be mad or bad, I want to blame it on a lack of coaching, or I want to blame it on no scheme, or I want to blame it on whatever. But I don't want to blame it on an injury. I don't like it. I don't like when kids, I don't like it. So, Xavier Johnson out. Dan Dockich, Urban Meyer, I hear him in the back. They're already getting ready. My brother, my nephew, we're getting ready to go to Old Florida. If you're at Old Florida, no pictures, please, until after the round. And you can take pictures of people handing me Cash. That's right. Cash will be delivered. My nephew, Pete, I'm already into him from about five different golf matches for 700 plus. I'm trying to get it back this day. To everybody, have a wonderful afternoon. Again, if I were a college coach, I would do what Mike Leach did. And that is I would be all over and all in on students. I would be ripping, and I mean ripping, the fact that students have to pay such exorbitant interest and for so many years on student loans. Mike Leach, I was a jackass last night, but something good came out of it. Salute to you. Uh, Godspeed. Rest in peace. Dylan, Tyler, Ryan, uh, Aaron, Haley, fantastic. I think tomorrow we've got to go with a Haley asking me quick questions segment because I feel quick, although I may stay out too late. I don't know. Sometimes, you know, we get golfing, we get playing. Anyway, have a fantastic afternoon. Enjoy.